Our second lesson this morning is from Acts chapter 2. And at first glance, you may wonder, what's this lesson doing on Good Shepherd Sunday? There are no sheep. There are no shepherds. There are, though. It's all implied. It's about the community, the church that is uh, growing up around the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the foretaste of the new humanity. And it's about how they care well for each other. How they love each other with the self-giving love of Christ. You know, how we, how we shepherd one another, how we are with each other, that too is a picture of the Good Shepherd's influence on each and every one of us. Keep that in mind as we, as we read and think about this passage and the passages that I'm going to try to tie into it this morning. Now, it's right here in front of you, Acts 2. I'm going to read it. You can follow along. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes, that we would see Jesus, the Good Shepherd, in our midst, that we would hear these words that testify to what a difference Jesus makes in a community, and that we would seek more and more to follow him. Through Christ our Lord, amen. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. Familiar words? That's mine is often followed up by the Clarification, just in case you didn't understand what I meant by that's mine, it's often clarified, that's mine and not yours. <laughs> it's mine, and it's not yours. For some reason, I could not get out of my head. And maybe some of you might relate to this because you've watched it with your children. But uh, Elmo in Grouchland. Remember, he loses his blanket. No, I'm the only one. Oh, no. <laughs> The whole sermon depended upon that. <laughs> Thankfully not. An early role for Mandy Patinkin, of all people, who plays this villain. You know Mandy Patinkin from Homeland now? He plays this villain. He steals Elmo's blanket, and he sings this ridiculous song. I touch it, and it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, 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 over and over again. It's a great opportunity to, of course, teach your kids about sharing, the moral of the story is not to claim everything is mine, mine, mine. 
Comes up a lot with kids, doesn't it? Get weary as parents, trying to strain to persuade your kids to share and to take turns, not to take pride in possession. But for kids and adults, we do, don't we? We do tend to hold on very tightly, very tightly to what we call mine, to what we call our own. This is my own. It's not yours. Except that's not what happens in the vignette in front of us this morning. Quite the opposite. Here, the early followers of Jesus don't regard their possessions as things that they must hold on to, but rather they view them as absolutely available to be used in order to meet the needs of another. Now, we encounter the same dynamic in the same book of Acts, just two chapters over, when these same followers are described in this way. And these texts, they really do belong in conversation with each other. The text that we just read at the beginning of the homily and the text I'm about to read to you from Acts 4. Don told me the other day, you know, sometimes when Caleb and I and Andy and whoever's preaching here, sometimes when we refer to another passage, it would be really easy for you. And we totally wouldn't believe you're playing a game if you wanted on your phone. If you wanted to just grab your phone and, and dial the text up. If you want to, you know, curious, you want to look at it. But I'm going to read this, this other text to you from Acts 4, beginning with verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds of the sales, lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. What accounts for this transformation in human behavior? What accounts for it? What, what takes people from the normal human disposition of mine, by definition, equals not yours, to a new disposition, which is mine equals, might very well be available to meet your needs? What transforms a human being to where they move from the normal human pattern of mine equals not yours, to mine might very well be available for you. If the Spirit leads, if the Spirit moves. Let me just back up here for a second. You know, when I grew up, you know, let's take kind of church that I grew up in. You know, the pastor would say, this was for then, it's not for now, don't worry. But what kind of principles can we extract from it? That was for then, it's not communism. I heard that a lot. Whew. So glad that Marxist-Leninism wasn't present in the, in the New Testament. Um, we can get bogged down in trying to figure out how to apply 
a one-size-fits-all to the mechanics of how this works and lose the point that Luke is trying to get us to hear. So I'm not going to tell you what this verse is not saying to you. I'm going to do my honest-to-goodness best to tell you what it was saying to them and what it might be saying to us today. So I'm not going to give you a million qualifications. I'm going to try to get the heart to the heart of how Luke uses various words like own and whatnot in order to alert us to the fact that when Jesus is raised from the dead and the Spirit is poured out on this new community, that human, be- human beings and human patterns of behavior are transformed in dramatic ways so that we become more like Christ. What accounts? Take someone from mine equals not yours to a new disposition of mine equals available to meet your needs. Well, it isn't that, it is not that people suddenly decide on their own to be generous in remarkable ways. You know, in fact, the way the book of Acts describes the development of the early church, it feels much more like people suddenly find themselves by God's empowering presence in their midst, people suddenly find themselves able to and desiring to live differently than they could have ever imagined on their own. And and so for Luke, the author of the gospel that bears his name and the author of this companion volume, volume of Acts, for Luke, the, the radical generosity that's on display in the early church is but one of many changes that we don't make on our own. One of many changes that we don't make on our own, but is in a category of changes that fall upon us, fall upon us as we're transformed from normal human life into humans who actually begin to share in God's life and God's love. Now, I want to unpack that last statement just a little bit. Where I say this is about human beings being made able to share in God's life and God's love. The Gospel of Luke This is back now to volume one of Luke Acts, okay? In the Gospel of Luke, way before the cross and the resurrection, way before what happens to these people in the book of Acts, Luke telegraphs that the goal of Jesus' ministry will be to bring about a change in the world wherein people are transformed by God's presence into the very likeness of God. This new reality is described in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. It's described in such a way that it's nothing less than the adoption of human beings by God. Now here's here's Jesus talking about what the new humanity will look like when we're adopted by God. This is from Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus speaking. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. 
If you do good to those who do good, who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good. And lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. You will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Luke offers us here in the way that he organizes Jesus' remarks. Luke offers us a vision of what human beings are made for. We're made for nothing less than sharing in God's divine life as adopted sisters and brothers of God's sons. Daughters and sons of the Most High. I want to give you a quick, quick note here. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is introduced to us with these words. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That should send a chill up our spines. God's intention for human beings is nothing less than full adoption as his children who share the very name of Jesus, Son of the Most High. This is how God intends to change the world, is by taking human beings from their normal human existence and transforming us into those who share more and more in the very life and love of God. When Caleb was talking about sheep not being so smart, he's saying, yeah, you know, sometimes the sheep will just follow whoever is talking to them, and sometimes we do that. Uh, sure enough. And when we do that, we walk away from our, our new adopted family and the pattern of life that has always been a part of God's trinity Love given, love received, always for the benefit of the other. We walk away from that. We walk away from it. If we're honest, we start to feel hollow, and we start to feel like this is not going to lead me to anything that is worthwhile. But when we live into these patterns of self-giving love, you feel a, a rightness to it, don't you? You feel a... I mean, when I... When I get up off the couch from doing whatever it is that I want to do, and, and, and I'm not saying it's not good to take rests, all right, but, you know, when I, when I feel that I'm just, everything's becoming a little bit too much about me, not enough about spending time playing with my, with my daughter, you know, when I, it's all I can do to sort of move into that zone of, of doing something for her that I don't want to do at the moment, but once I'm doing it, it feels right. It feels good. It feels like I've been moved from normal human existence into a participation in 
this, this life-giving love that belongs to God. And now, because of our adoption, belongs to us. And inter- interestingly and remarkably, in these words of Jesus in Luke that we just read a moment ago, the sign that, that our adoption is taking place will be that we human beings will be able to love others as God loves us. Namely, with abundant generosity and radical self-giving love. So to echo what we said a few minutes ago, being more generous is not something we decide to do. We become more generous when we live more fully into our new family identity as daughters and sons of the Most High. This brings us back to Acts, in case you were wondering. When are you going to get back to Acts? Now, one way of looking at just about everything that happens in the book of Acts is to see it through the lens of the promise made to the disciples in the Gospel of Luke. The promise that they will be made sons and daughters of the Most High. In other words, you can read the book of Acts as the sons and daughters of the Most High, the younger siblings of Jesus. You can read the book of Acts as the sons and daughters of the Most High coming into their own. Coming into their own in terms of of experiencing the newness of life that the resurrection brings. The new patterns of behavior that we couldn't have made up, that we couldn't have changed on our own. They come to us as blessings being a part of this divine family. Being adopted into the family of the Most High gives us an identity that changes the way that we relate to all, capital A, capital L, capital L. We have a new identity. It changes the way that we relate to all people and to all things. To all people and to all things. Luke demonstrates this in the way he uses the word that is translated on. Luke uses the word that's translated own. And in case my southern accent makes you wonder what word did he just say, I said own, (laughs) O-W-N, okay? Luke uses the word that's translated own six times in his gospel, 17 times in the book of Acts. And it means generally what you think it would. I own this donkey. This is my private time. This is my own time. This over here, this is my stuff. This is my own. I own it, etc. But there are a few very significant and important times when he uses this word to make the point that our new identity as sons and daughters of the Most High will change the way we think of what belongs to us and in a sense what we belong to. In Acts 42, uh, 4.32, that passage that I read earlier, remember when we read the passage that was in front of us this morning from chapter 2, I said there's a companion text in chapter 4 and you really kind of have to read them in conversation with each other in order to get the full thrust of the teaching. In Acts 4.32 that I read earlier, Luke employs that word, own, in order to show that those in the new community 
are no longer viewing their property as unconditionally their own possession. I'll read that relevant verse again to you. Those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his or her own. There's the word, own. But all things were common property to them. Now that's remarkable in and of itself. But what comes a few verses earlier in chapter 4 of Acts verse 23 is even more remarkable. Because there, Luke says, the disciples are detained for preaching the gospel by the authorities. Then they're released. They're released by the authorities. And Luke says that when they were released, they went back to, wait for it, they went back to their own. They went back to their own. Now that's a funny way of talking. But that's what he says. He just says they went back to their own. Now translations, and you can check this later if you want to, translations smooth that out. They sort of recognize the awkwardness of it. And they say, well, he went back, they went back to their own friends sometimes or their or their companions, or that sort of thing. But Luke just says, they went back to their own. Now that's a funny way of talking, unless you want to make a point. Namely, that the Spirit enables us to see that when it comes to what can be thought of as our own, in an absolute sense, that's other people. It's not our stuff. You want to think about what it is that you can own and what you can, in a sense, say owns you? Luke makes it clear here that it's other people that belong to us in an unconditional sense and to whom we belong in an unconditional sense. It's not our stuff. Aaron Keeker who we may as well just go ahead and confer on old Aaron the title of, of, of resident theologian because he's, he's our, our regular go-to guy that comes and lectures. And we were grateful for all the other great people that do it. But Aaron does it, you know, a lot of times. And we had our, our death in our family. Aaron came and preached on the book of Job not long ago. I was spending some time with him this week, and it reminded me of this... Um, essay that he wrote on this passage, and so I looked it up later in the week. This is what Aaron says about what we just were talking about. I'm going to quote Aaron now. Believers did not identify in a relationship of possession with their belongings, but they did identify with the members of their community. Thus, the possessions that could rightly be claimed to be one's own are not allowed in Luke's description to establish a boundary between those who have and those who do not have. Instead, such a boundary is overcome by the realization that it is people and not possessions to which one has a fundamental and orientating relationship. I kind of said that, but doesn't it sound better when Aaron writes it? 
For Luke, this is what it looks like to inhabit the God who is who he is as he gives himself freely to others. And in a, uh, another portion of Acts, I'm just going to call this the, well, this puts the icing on the cake moment, okay? Uh, there's another use of the word own, where Luke carefully uses the word again to point out that what is rightly one's own, what is rightly one's own should never be a barrier to the benefit of others. And that's when he writes that God has purchased the church with his own blood. There you have a paradigmatic example and a Christological example rooted in the very heart of who God is. That what is one's own is not to be considered a barrier to the blessing of others. When God purchased us with his own blood. God is who he is by freely giving. By freely giving himself to others. Unconditional love. And like parent, like child, this self-giving love is also the mode of existence for the family of the Most High. May God ignite within us a curiosity and a desire for more of all of this. And in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.